Hello, and welcome to another edition of Across the States, the premier state policy podcast. I'm your host, Matt Fisher, and joining me today are Melissa Ballard, member of the Utah House Representatives for the 20th District, and Carly Good, Energy, Environment, and Agricultural Task Force Manager here at Alec. Representative Ballard, Carly, welcome to Across the States. How are you guys doing today? Great. Thank you for having me. Doing well. Thank you. Awesome. So I've been looking forward to this podcast discussing energy reform. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Carly, at least to the ship. Yeah, thank you, Matt, for having us. And thank you again, Representative Ballard. We're so excited to hear from you today. And I want to first dive into your background to kind of set the stage for today's discussion. So you have served in the Utah legislature since 2019 and have worked on a variety of committees, including education and transportation. What sort of inspired you to run for office in the first place? And what are some of the hot button issues that you wanted to work on during your time in the legislature. Thank you, Carly. I was asked to run. And at first I thought, why me? And then just as fast, I thought, why not me? And I think that's an important question to ask ourselves about running for office. It's a good time in my life. I am actually the CEO of six kids and two dogs. So that has put me in a lot of community positions. And we've done a lot of community organizing and advisory boards and charities and so forth over the years. And so getting on the legislature, I'm very involved in higher education appropriations and really aligning workforce development with 7th to 12th grade and higher ed and even adults into the criminal correctional facilities. So that workforce development is really crucial to make sure we're educating the students and the adults, but getting them in a pipeline for the right jobs. We only have 2.8% unemployment in Utah right now. So we need we need wow. our citizens to really be engaged in the right jobs. So you've also done a lot of work, particularly in the hydrogen space, which is a relatively newer part of the policy discussion related to alternative fuels and transportation broadly. What sort of drove you to get involved in this type of policy area and what types of reforms specifically have you been working on, particularly this legislative session? I knew nothing about hydrogen until about two and a half years ago, and it makes sense. And so we have in Utah policy of working from the market up rather than from government down. And so really the policy that I've been working on in Utah is to put hydrogen in code for the first time. We did not have hydrogen in our code anywhere. And so putting it on parity was crucial, whether if it was with petroleum or CNG or with electric. There's different places in code for each of those. But really to make that effective, we had to define what different kinds of hydrogen is. And instead of doing it by color, which can vary from state to state, we defined what renewable hydrogen is. So that legislation was really important this last legislative session to really focus on renewables because we have hydrogen that can come from oil and coal in Utah. We even have a county that's called Carbon County. But being able to capture methane reform or to produce hydrogen from those entities is crucial. So renewable hydrogen really should be the discussion. Can you go a little bit into detail on some of the specific obstacles that you faced 
with these reforms? Yes, I would definitely say jumping into this sector, it was quickly my role to be able to collaborate the producers, the distributors, and the manufacturers with the end users. It seemed like everybody was in their own space and touting how much production opportunity we have in Utah, but not really connecting all the people that are involved. And we have numerous companies in Utah who are in the application of hydrogen all the way from production to end user is what we're working on. So that is probably the biggest obstacle is being able to get them in the same room, having them talk to each other. So that has really become my role. I don't need to be the engineer or the chemist, but being the collaborator has been crucial to overcome the obstacle of really being able to use hydrogen as an energy in Utah. So kind of along those lines, there is obviously a lot going on in today's political climate related to energy policy and transportation and the environment more broadly. Looking ahead, what are some of the upcoming reforms that you intend to work on related to hydrogen or anything else in this space? What do you see that needs to be done? So first and foremost, maximizing the new federal fund opportunities. I think understanding what those are and being able to communicate those to our Utah companies who are needing that incentive is crucial. So that first and foremost is understanding and having somebody as the go-to for federal hydrogen dollars so that companies know who they can go to to ask questions regarding that. The second thing is pilot programs. I'm in the process of working on two of them. One of them is actually for the University of Utah. They have health buildings and hospitals, as well as higher ed institutions, being able to have backup generators because our airport has 47 backup generators and our university and between them and the hospital, just that particular company has 100 backup generators. And so that's on a large scale, really how we can make a difference in changing the emissions. We have an emission problem in Utah because we have two mountain ranges that really capture the smoke that comes in from California, for example, or our emissions from our transportation and applications. And so the backup generators is one pilot program. The other pilot program is really working with the airport with their 47 backup generators, but they have tugs, they have forklifts, they have all kinds of things. And we also have the Utah Inland Port Authority, which is a new entity, but it's a government entity that now has the opportunity to provide loans specifically for low and zero emission applications. And so the Utah Inland Port Authority, it's a one-day train ride from the coast to Utah and then one-day trek ride to five different states from here. So we are working on being able to do customs here to help alleviate the clog going on on the western coastline of customs. But in return, the Utah Inland Port Authority is really working on green applications of being able to encourage and incentivize. And so being able to educate new companies in manufacturing or you know, moving goods. We have two-thirds of the national GDP actually travel through Utah already. It's crazy. 
So that's a, a crucial part of connecting everyone. We also need to get data from California. We appreciate all the work that they've done in this sector, but we need to be able to take their cost-effective results of hydrogen, and it really needs to be understood because we need to include the actual cost of hydrogen compared to battery electric or compared to CNG and compared to diesel. Because right now, everybody looks at the purchase price, but that's not the whole cost. We need to look at the maintenance because hydrogen is so more cost effective than battery, for example, the battery electric. And so we need to look at the cost of maintenance and the labor of maintenance is cheaper for hydrogen applications. We need to compare the cost per mile of fuel. And we've got a couple of entities in Utah because they can produce hydrogen in a small geographical space that are working on being able to have it available with short distance travel. And then we also need to look at the lifespan of the application. So I think that's what I've been trying to help the manufacturers to do here in Utah is to say, if you're touting your application, you need to be able to say, here's from point A to point B in 12 years or whatever the year span is, what are they really getting if they buy a fuel cell application? So recently, GE did that with backup generators because they gave a comparison price of purchase. And they said, nope, you've got to do total cost over 12 years of what it will be. And our transit authority is still waiting to see how hydrogen is going. And I keep saying it's already going. In fact, Orange County in California is changing all of their buses from electric over to hydrogen. And if that's the case, we should be looking at why that application is so effective. And I know that they have a lot of power outages, but I just saw a news article yesterday in St. George, Utah, that they're anticipating because of the high heat, some power outages. And so I think Utah Transit definitely wants a varied amount of buses that come from different sources, which is good if there's one missing more than another, but they need to start including hydrogen. And I need help being able to have hydrogen companies and manufacturers reach out to them to say, like GE, here's your actual cost over time and why you need to invest in this. Because we do have producers ready to sell, but they need the end users. And public transit is really important. Utah really focuses on what the market value is. They also really focus on not favoring one thing over another. So providing tax incentives that are on parity with other fuels and other producers is crucial, but we only have very few production incentives. But I did do that this last session in adding some tax incentives, especially for high infrastructure costs for hydrogen manufacturing. So I think that's really what I see that you can help me with and that we can help you with. Because if Utah has hydrogen, all of those surrounding states now have access to hydrogen. And we want to be the ones who produce it for you because everybody has to go through us to be able to get to where they need to go. So we really value that Utah really is the crossroads of the West. Great. That's great. And I really appreciate you giving that 
update and that kind of overview of hydrogen, you know, like you said, it's here and it seems like it's going to be a big, big player in the future of energy and, you know, moving forward, I think that hydrogen, you know, as you mentioned, it's going to be a big player. So I appreciate you giving that overview and it's great to talk to someone who's at the forefront of these issues. So before we go, I do wanted to ask you if you had any quick words of wisdom or quick words of advice for other women who are interested in potentially running for legislature or just public office in general. I think that is a crucial element of why I'm in the legislature. We need more women to be involved. Usually, there's about 90% of the PACs and organizations that actually help Democrat women to be involved and not so much on the Republican side. So we actually in Utah just started a PAC that's called Republican Women Lead that is specifically for open seats so that we're not trying to get our colleagues out, but specifically for open seats. And they have to show that they've been a Republican voter over the last few years. And then we do a video interview to understand what their needs are. There's a lot of people running, a few people. And this goes all the way from city council, mayor, county commission, up to state. We cannot fund federal candidates. But so I think that type of a pack, whether it's for Republicans or Democrats is important, but I think especially for Republicans, we don't have a lot of access to funds that seed money. The Democrats have Emily, which is early money is like yeast. And so that's why we're focusing on open seats right now in the Utah House of Representatives. All the women that are there that are Republican got in on open seats. So that's another reason why we're focusing on that. But to all women and to all men, it's interesting to note that most women run because they were asked. I was asked. And so I would say, go ask them or ask yourself the question, why not me? And women are often stuck between generations, sandwiched between their parents and their kids. And so I would say to all women, be aware of what season of life you are in, because the season right now will change. And is this the right season for you to step forward? Or is the next season a better time for you to step forward? And that is probably the most important question, I think, for women to ask, because sometimes we discount where we are in our life and think we can't do, but a new season brings new opportunities. And that's where we need to be looking around, asking more women to run and helping to provide opportunities for more women to be involved because we're supposed to represent our constituents and we need more representation of the constituents of having more females. I think I would say one more thing for hydrogen and that is come to Utah. We want you here. We want to be the crossroads of the West for hydrogen. We want to be the connective factor. Come to Utah and I will do what I can to help collaborate and connect you with the right players for so many of the applications that we're working on. Well, based on what you're doing there in Utah, Representative, they're going to be coming to Utah soon. So I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast today, Representative Ballard. And thank you again, Carly, for joining us today on Across the States. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Again, I'm your host, Matt Fisher, and be sure to tune in next time for more of Across the States. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. 
To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alec States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council. 